some scary shit. What is up, podcast people? Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Scary Crit Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jared. We're your co-hosts of Scary Crit. You know how we go. Here we are once again to do the thing. (laughs) Sounds like a a Disney Channel song. Here we are once again. We're back to do the thing. Here we go now. I was gonna say no. The way you started it almost sounded like the Kolioko theme song, but what a throwback that is. Um, well, we 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 have made it to the what is this? This is the second full week of September. What does my calendar tell me? Full week? No. Yeah. First full week. No, last last week was a full week of September. Oh, uh, well, we just didn't work on Monday. Yeah, so second week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But second full week of September. We're already, like, basically in the middle of September. And I feel like we, you know, we just got here. Um, it's just, yeah, the weather has begun to, well, slightly turn. It was 84 degrees on Saturday. And that was just not okay with me. Because what was the point? What was the reason? It was, it was, it was a nice 54 in Denver, Colorado, where I'm from. So I'm like, that's the kind of weather we need over here because I'm ready. Nobody for this. wants it to be 54 degrees. Why? What are you afraid of? The cold. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> that's what that's that's what I'm afraid of of the cold. Thank you. I don't like it. That is the worst feeling when you walk out of your apartment and the wind bitch slaps you in the face. It's awful. No one wants that. I didn't say anything about it being windy or anything like that. I just said I want the chimps to be a little cooler. That's no, all. a little cooler is like 68. 54 is like... Sweater weather. No. You're so boring. <laughs> you, you, you know what? You can take your... Your um, sandals and capris and crop tops. You can just get out of here because summer is about to end. Good. I want summer to end. I live in a perpetual state of fall. Anybody who tells me that fall is not the best season is a liar. Here's why. Does does fall not have cool temperatures? But not 54. It is not 54 in October. What do you mean? Oh, I'm, I'm. Forgive me. I'm from Colorado, where it actually starts to snow on Halloween. So, that you know, insane. that is that, apocalyptic behavior. You know, that's my reality. That's where I come from. I was, you know, I was, I was born in the cold, shaped by it, molded by it, all that stuff. Okay, Bane. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then, it was nothing to me but blinding. No exactly. one wants, no one wants to be it. in the pit with you. No one wants to be in the pit with you. Everyone <laughs> would like to be. We all float down here, Mel. No. <laughs> September and October and like early November is great. It's gr- the best weather. All of the food changes in all of our favorite like chain restaurants because it's, it's giving you fall vibes. It's giving you hazelnut. The nasty pumpkin spice that people can't seem to get enough of. I don't know what y'all see, but whatever, it's there. The leaves, the foliage is beautiful. You don't need a jacket. You just go out in like a sweater and you could still wear shorts if you so choose. And the anticipation, you don't have to deal with the nastiness and like the stuff that you don't like about the holidays, but you get to like dream about it. 
in its best state, in its ideological state. It's great. And Halloween. No one can tell me that fall is not where it's at. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. I love I, fall. I appreciate that. Well, now that we have bonded over our <laughs> our 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 mutually um, exclusive love of fall, we should just jump right into the Neganomicon. I saw a barbarian on Friday. You went to the movies? Yeah. You why what what is this surprise that 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 I hear in your voice? I didn't get an invite to a movie. Forgive me. Um I just I on No, it's fine. No, it's no. Fine. Let I me let me let me tell you the tea. Where this relationship has devolved to. It's okay. Let me tell you the tea. In the eyes of an angel. Someone send me 99 cents a day. It's that's where we are. It's in the arms of an angel, Sarah McLaughlin. You, you but, and so yet much. you knew what I meant. I don't the eyes, the arms, whatever. <laughs> Will you please send Mel a new movie friend? Because she is in desperate need. Just just her one dollar a day. You can you can provide this service for her. But no. I didn't ask you because I, I really thought you were too busy. Like, judging by our conversation last week, you have so much going on this month. I just really did not think you had the time. You're not. You're not wrong. I am. I am still that friend that would like to know that you thought of me. <laughs> See, this is now. This is where the guilt sets in, and I just. I just feel so bad. Um, Don't feel bad. It's okay. My apologies for not asking you to barbarian um but yes i did go on friday um i saw it at the dolby cinema um again i don't know if it's just a new york thing but i swear like nicole kidman has almost like an mcu level of fervor behind her with these um amc we make movies better ads like she's her contract for those have been renewed for another year and apparently they're going to do a sequel to that and i just have no idea what it's going to look like i have no idea how we got to the um nku i i just i don't know but here we are um go away they just they just go up for her go away they they it, like it's gotten to like where they where they um are quoting alongside her during her lines um when you see that one heel step into the puddle there are immediate cheers and when she says her last slide you know because here they are people start having full-out conniption fits like i just i don't know if it is a new york city thing or if this is nationwide but nicole kidman i just want you and amc i just want you to know like you guys have unlocked something with with these Nicole Kidman, AMC, you know, ads. I don't think ads. it was them. I think it was TikTok or Twitter or, or the black Some, people on the internet that started something. making fun of it. Somebody did something. Nobody cared about these commercials until like a couple months ago. I just, I don't know when it started. Like, I remember when I went to go see The Cursed back in February, I don't remember this kind of reaction, but I think as the year went along, it just, I don't know, something happened where it was just, I think it was sometime in the summer, like June, where I noticed like, oh, people are really living for Nicole. But yeah, it was just, I just wanted to bring that back up because it's like every time I go now, especially if it's like opening night of a big release, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. But um, Barbarian was, I just want to say 
to the marketing team or whoever did the marketing because uh, they also brought back that whole um, audience reactions point of view. You remember those? Like they they did the same with the movie we're going to talk about today. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the 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 GoPro night vision camera. In yeah, the theater. yeah. They did that. Mm-hmm. They did that. But also for the teaser that we saw or the first trailer that we saw ahead of the black phone when we got, went to go see that, we had no idea about this movie beforehand. And even after the trailer, we had no idea what it was about, really. nothing. It revealed nothing to us, which is what, you know, I think a good movie trailer is supposed to do, but it made us want to see it. And upon watching this movie, I just want to shout out the marketing team for being so clever in both not giving anything away and also, like, our, any expectations that you had for this film, it's just like they... Like Zach Kreger, that's the one who wrote and directed this thing. Him and his screenplay and his directing, like when I say this is definitely one of the most unpredictable, unpredictable. horror movies I have seen in recent memory. Like you could not, it's like you, 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 it was like you, you felt like you knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And then it wouldn't even pivot. It would just, like oh we're here now or like where or you would think like like you're in a certain place and you're thinking okay we're gonna move on we're gonna move here but we're still uh, i just it got to a point where i was just like i i'm just i'm strapped in i can't go anywhere we're just gonna ride this out i have no idea what we're doing but i'm we're just gonna work our way through it because when i say originality with this film was like front and center which I think is so, because we're so used to, we're in the age of, you know, all the R's, reboots, remakes. Um, Requel. Thank you. And it's just like, okay, what 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 is new out here? And I feel like what is new out here, what is, what is actually being the original girl, they're not getting a lot of love anymore because um, this got a C plus on CinemaScore. Bitch, I know you fucking lie. But the last time I checked it was at a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. I know you fucking lie. From the critics or from, from the, the audience? Critics, from the critics. Mm. So it's like, and what I like about Barbarian was, um, as unconventional and unpredictable it was, it was very brave in doing so because it really made it its own thing. And it was just like, the, and it was really fun too. Justin Long who was who played a main character in this i had never seen him play the, this kind of role before and i think he did a fantastic job zach Kreger again who i feel like he had a lot because there was a lot of social commentary in here there was a lot of um playing with and going against horror tropes so, uh, the same thing with societal tropes well that's usually what horror films do well good ones anyway yeah and it was he put a lot like it's almost i feel like with this film it's similar to Nope for me in terms of like, I'm going to have to rewatch this kind of a little bit multiple times because there's just so much in there to unpack and dig into. And uh, Zach Kreger um, is unique in the fact that when I, when I, I actually stayed <laughs> and watched all the credits because I thought there was going to be, you know, like a, a post credit scene. There was not. But I stayed anyway. But I noticed in the acknowledgments, he thanked Jordan Peele and um, David Gordon Green in them. And that made me think because Zach Krager, like Jordan Peele and David, also is someone who is a veteran in the comedy genre. He is one of the founders of The Whitest Kids You Know, which um, 
was like a like I think it was like a skit comedy group, but then they they got their own show on IFC, which ran for a couple seasons. So he's very familiar in comedy. And I just thought it was very noteworthy because how is it that you have these comedy veterans who can, I don't want to say easily, but they're just so something about the way that they do horror. They're very good at it. The writing style is the same because it's all about a setup, a punchline and a turn. Right. Like it's it's fundamentally the same idea of I have to build as much anticipation as possible. Which he did. Mm -hmm. And then release it in a way that is not to be expected, because in comedy, right, you're building that tension for the punchline of the joke. But you don't want to have a punchline that people are going to guess what it is because it's not funny. Oh, my God. You're so right. Thank you. See, this is why I'm glad we're friends. This is why I'm glad I didn't have this conversation with you because I was like firing off of my little echo chamber on Twitter. Like, what is it about these these funny guys who can do horror so well? And I I'm, and I really liked how Zach thanked Jordan and David because I feel like if he got advice from them or if he was inspired by that work, maybe that helped him with his own execution of his ideas because they were just so like you cannot predict this film. Like, uh, it's like after they, after, again, it's like the trailer, after they, after she goes down those stairs, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen next. You're just, you're in, mm-hmm. un, you're in unmarked territory. It was like, it was like Parasite all over again, where it's like that descent into madness after they go down those secret stairs, because mm-hmm. this, this was also unpredictable, like Parasite was. And Parasite could be seen as like a dark comedy. This had a lot of uh, dark humor in it too. So it's just, it was very just, it was, I loved it. It was a great time. I understand that this movie is not going to be for everybody. When I say everybody, I mean probably like mainstream audiences, hence the cinema score, because they're not, It this movie doesn't spoon feed it to you and it's not, jump scares every second it's just and it's very unpredictable and i think that's what people are having trouble reconciling with it wasn't playable it wasn't predictable it wasn't it wasn't what they were expecting in the way that they were expecting it but i feel like like jokes maybe that's what zach wanted maybe that's Mm. maybe that's what jordan peele wanted or maybe they don't even care about that um i don't know i feel like because comedy is one of those genres where it's just like, it's like stand up, you know, you're just going to get up there and you're going to do what you do. And if people respond to it, they respond to it. But like at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm going to do what I know how to do. And I felt like with Barbarian, because the screenplay was just so smart, it was just like, I, this is, this is me and I'm just going to do my thing. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the show. I don't know. But it was, it was, I would say in terms of like, insanity level like this could be compared to x that came out earlier this year and pearl the prequel to that is going to come out actually this week so yeah um but barbarian was really i really enjoyed it i would love to own the steel book there doesn't need to be a prequel or a sequel we just let it be a standalone not everything needs to have a whole franchise come from it but i think what zach did here was um a really nice flex of his horror muscles. Like I, I would like to see more from him in this genre, especially if it's going to be as unpredictable as Barbarian was. Cause one of the things I like about 
seeing movies, but especially horror movies for the first time is like, again, you're going to new territory. Like it's, it's never going to be as scary as it is the first time you see it. So you're just kind of going and you're just bracing yourself the whole time. I'm just like bracing myself. Um, but what bar- made Barbarian unique for me was I didn't know, like, I'm like, cause it was so unpredictable. I'm like, is it safe to unbrace myself? Can I breathe here? Like what's going to happen? Like, Embrace your heart. Yeah. Say you'll be scared again. Say you'll be predictable again. <laughs> like, say <laughs> I know what's next. And um, we're not lyricists, y'all. I know. It's just, it's sometimes <laughs> it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, Barbarian was great. Y'all should go see that if you would like to. What do you have? Have you watched the Red Table Talk since they came back? I still need to read that book, but it's been sold out on Amazon for like weeks. I can't even buy it on Kindle. It's insane. What, wait, how you run out of electronic it. copies? I can't buy it on Kindle. How do you, I tried. What, what is this? I have a sample. How does this work? I don't know. How do they run out? Of, wait, I've never heard of this. I get print copies. Oh, no, it's back now. I just... It's here now for $15. Oh my God. But how do they even run? Were they, were the servers overwhelmed? I don't understand. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, Jeanette McCurdy. But so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Jeanette McCurdy came to the red table to talk about her new book um, that details her child abuse, basically. And it's so sad. Listening to her talk was so overwhelming. And she was just so chill about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, it was, because I've been watching the Red Table Talk. It's a little bit different now because since it's blown up, it's got all these ads in it now that weren't there before. Oh, unit capitalism. Right. But I mean, I think the good thing about Jada and Willow and the grandmother is that they really do take care with other people and their emotionality and stuff like that. They're sincere. There's a, there's a very, there's the sincerity with them in that show. Um, and it really does feel like um, a a space, like where you can you can have these conversations. And I think um, that comes with you know not only their hosting abilities, but who they are as people. Yeah, I agree. Because I watched the Jeanette McCurdy episode, and then I watched the Janelle Monae episode right after, and it was that same level of like care yes for the other person mm-hmm. for the person for the guest's well-being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but some of the things that Jeanette because she read an email that her mom had sent yep. her and I was just like I've, oh I've, I've seen I've seen ex- excerpts of like the clip of that yeah and you're right it is hard to watch it's very <laughs> uncomfortable because you're just like how it's like how can one person in in the role of a mother treat you know someone else's way and then how does that person who is subject to this um behavior and abuse how do they come out on the other side of that okay like yeah i just and it's crazy because when you think of or and maybe that's because i'm old now right but when i think about like child actors who who kind of like lost it i think about those kids from like the 80s and 90s sitcoms that their parents did not do whatever did not lead them or guide them or whatever and they end up like on drugs and like on tmz because they stole bubble gum from a supermarket or something stupid right but then you see their mug shots all over the place 
And then I feel like because of that, there was this huge turn for the child stars that we grew up with on Disney, right? Like Raven Simone and Victoria Justice and all those people on Nickelodeon and like Zoe 101 or whatever. Like, no, I, I feel like that didn't happen to them. You know what I mean? Like, f- except for some, in some instances, like what's his name? Orlando Bloom? Mm-hmm. No, what's his name? That's his Orlando name, right? Brown. From Raven? Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown. Like there are those instances, but they seem so singular mm-hmm. of like people who were not okay because of the child star situation that they were in. But to hear something like this, it's just it it really does it because you you know you feel like you know them even though you don't because you you watch them every day after school or or whatever. Yeah. But it's just it's really heartbreaking to to know that for my entertainment that that this person was like tortured for lack of a better word. And that's a lot to contend with as an adult <laughs> and as someone who like studies media for a living. Yeah. Cuz like what are we what are we consuming? Like what is what is actually the truth behind it? What it, what is the sacrifice that is actually at work behind the camera from especially these um child actors and then but i told because i told you I'm, I'm listening to that boy meets world podcast yeah so they talk about like their day-to-day on set and it was so di- like it's it's such a different like it's just crazy to, to see that they're the, the instances where, where children specifically are not taken care of because you know that ryan reynolds jokes that like he he would never in a million years let his children act as children He's like, and and like for him and Blake Lively to be like, Mm-mm, that's not happening. I am not surprised at all. I mean, because they're they're both actors too, right? So they would, um, um, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that he said that. But it's just, it's just, it makes me sad. It just does. Yeah, that's another book I have to put on my list. I have so many. I'm I'm getting overwhelmed in that too. I just I really just need you this thing where I become um <laughs> what I become an old lady and I'm in my rocking chair and I, I try to read at least 20 pages a night with my with my cup of tea, my cup of chamomile tea, and then turn on into bed, you know. Would you like a book recommendation? Because I have Oh my God, don't do this to me. So the scary crypt book recommendation for the week <laughs> is a murder mystery book called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evan Hardcastle. Hardcastle, huh? This is so this is so, this sounds like um Agatha Christie wrote it. So it's it's it, I think how do I explain this? Oh wait, you said Evelyn Hardcastle, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to show you the. Wait a minute, is this by the same person that did? Wait, that's crazy. That hold on, hold on, because there's the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and the Seven and a Half Deaths. Of... Okay, wait, is this like is he is he is this like a riff off of? What's going on here? Which which I don't know. I don't think he wrote that. I'm not sure. No, he didn't. These are by two different people. Taylor Jenkins oh. Reid wrote. Evelyn Hugo and then Stuart Turton wrote 
Evelyn Hardcastle. This is this seems too very... coincidental to me. Hold on. Maybe I don't know. I have to know what I have to know the tea. I have to know the secret. What's going on here? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> and it looks like, oh, it looks like Evelyn Hugo came first, huh? But go on. Why? Why would you recommend this to me? I'm gonna read the passage that I found. Oh, not not you read, not you reading out loud to the class, Mel. <laughs> Quote, Stuart Turton's ingenious 2019 novel, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, depicts a very traditional Christie-like isolated manor house with many suspects mystery, with one key difference. The protagonist is stuck in an endless time loop, and every day he wakes up in the body of a different suspect. How did the author even think of that? I don't know, but I'm glad that he did. I have got. And when I read this, I was like, I was like, what? I have got to like, I have got to give it up for like this. I know it's not new. I know it is not new, but it just in recent memory and the um, most biggest example I can think of right now is, you know, Happy Death Day, which was Scream meets Groundhog Day. And I just love like this, this, I'm not, I want, I don't want to call it a trend, but this, um, this, is it a genre now? But this thing where they take, two different um they're from two different genres but they take these two different genre concepts and just throw them in a blender and then like they come out with stuff like this because what do you mean not only a time loop but then we get a um clue or um and then there were um none um style mystery where it's just like oh what so you're not it's not only a time loop and you're not only trying to figure out the tea but you wake up in the body of us not even people who are like in the same location but suspects it's so it was such a brilliant idea to take the middleman of the detective out of the story <gasps> oh oh mm-hmm. my god that's not, when you put it like that it's very good. When you put I'm it not, like I'm that, I'm not even into the meat of it yet, but it's I'm I am enthralled. Oh my God, it reminds me of it reminds me of what the director of Buddy's Buddy's Body said, where she said she wanted to make um, a slasher film without the slasher. So it's oh my. So are you done reading this? Or are you reading it now? No, I'm on page sixty. I'm on page seventy. Of 467. Okay. Oh, thick boy. We love those. Mm-hmm. So now that you're on the you're you're in the 60s, how are we feeling? What are what are what are your feelings or your reactions? Can you put her down? It's very good. Okay. Because I've only switched bodies twice. And it went smoother than I thought. And now the time loop makes more sense because I think. I've I've gathered some information to realize we where we get to at a certain point, but I'm not there yet. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without ruining the book. <laughs> well, I, it's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm following along. I just like the fact that it sounds like um, Stuart is taking his time with the story. It's it, and I think the other thing for me is that after grad school, I kind of stopped reading who are you telling we were burned the fuck out i was burnt out i was like don't give me another book i can't take it and like here and there i would pick up a book or whatever 
But I think that this is now the 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 push I needed to kind of get back into that mode because you before grad school I always had a book in my hand. Like I was just like I would just eat it up. And I have and, that was and I haven't really been like that, that since. That was me in high school and then I went to undergrad and I was just like and I was the English major was just like oh my god and then I went to grad school almost right after and then it was just like you know what what is what is reading for fun? What is reading for leisure? I can't do it. You can't do it. It took it took You can't do it. It took quarantine happening for for me to like even be like oh we have time let's just like sit down and read a book i i will still i'm still like i'm in grad school why Why are you highlighting why is it highlighted my god why are there why are there notes in the margin oh my god because i'm insane oh my god it's (laughs) it's crack it is crack Even in this Kindle book, you can make notes. Well, you can highlight I knew stuff. That, and I, I knew that about the Kindle, but <laughs> I can't believe you're still doing it to like print yes. books. My God, today. Note, and that's why I was, that's why the I made the Norton piece, Anthology. I, was like, I knew I made a note about this book and why can't I find it? Because my color code was off. Get out. <laughs> Get out right now. This is not, we. there is no syllabus here. There are no deadlines. What are you doing? Have I ever shown you some of my books from, from Pratt? I think so. My color code was a psychopathic level of color coordination. Hey, if it got you through. Yellow, worked. purple, pink, green, blue, and red. So what did red mean? And I had little tags. Red was like, this is, I was annoyed at whatever information. Oh. Red was like, if I misunderstood something and my professor was like, no, this is what this means. I'd have to go back and like, correct what it. What was the color that represented? Like, I need to know this. I need to memorize it. Oh my God. Pink. Okay. Thought you would pick to like a more intense color, but okay. Mm, just pink. Yellow was like basic information. Blue was like, I don't think this is important, but it's probably going to be important. Pink was like this. I need to remember for my life. And also for the sake of this project. Um. Green was like historical or factual stuff that was wasn't going to change based upon my opinion of it. And then I had little flags, like you know those little yep. post-it note yep. flags. Yep. I might even still have some. I don't know. <laughs> but okay, well, oh, grad school book recommendation. That was the um, seven and a half deaths yes, of Evelyn Hardcastle, of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. And now I have to fucking read it. Thank you so much, Mel. You're welcome. <laughs> and that was the Negonomicon, folks. Okay. So we are now going to talk about um, a film from the mid-late 2000s. Um, this was released um, when I was in... Oh my God, What was I in middle school for this? Yeah, we both were. Were we really? Were we? No, actually. No. Was this 2007? So when it it first was, I think when it was first filmed and when it was first like screened, it was 2007. But then they did, then, you know, Paramount picked it up. And so it it got released in 09. Okay, 2009, I was in high school. Yeah, I was definitely in high school as well. So... Yeah, I was in high school, but it feels like so much earlier than that, though. I feel like it was, it came out with limited release and then it just, yeah, that's what it was. Film festival screenings in 2007 
and then it got like the limited U.S. release on the 25th of oh, actually the 25th of this month in 2009, and went nationwide on October 16th of 09. So right around Halloween, it went nationwide. Mm. But I remember hearing about this film like back in 07, though, when I was in middle school. So we're talking about <laughs> Paranormal Activity from 2007 and then later 2009. Um, uh, like this was a film that was originally um, produced on like a budget of what, $15,000. Um, and But the only reason the budget was that small is because he didn't have a crew. They had no crew. There was no Jesse Sperling there. No. Hi, Jesse. There was no Ian, the sound guy. There was the who also, you know, Moonlights is a spy. There was none of that. Hi, Ian. <laughs> Hi, Ian. There was none of that. International super spy. <laughs> super spy. There was none of that. There was just um there was just, you know, um a camera, shadows, bumps in the night, and a dream. And they made it work. And Paramount Pictures took notice. They bought that film and then they they injected more money into it. And then, you know, they got it ready for um, a wide release. Honestly, if I was an exec and I figured out how and I asked him like how much he, he spent to make it and he told me I'd have bought it too. <laughs> there was no way you weren't going to get your money back and then some. This is true. Like it was a surefire gold. This was a fantastic. Um, this was a fantastic choice of investment and like not only did it make like a massive return of investment it just like this is one of those films that that is going to be that is going to honestly i think this I, this was definitely the 2000s Blair Witch project yeah found footage definitely low budget definitely super scary definitely mm-hmm. like because like so to jump the gun for a like bit like the girls thought it thought it would thought it could have been cloverfield and it could have been but the, something about this one this one just hit different the reason that this is so foundational to me is because i will always remember the marketing campaign thank for this you movie. thank you you just you took the words out my mouth you did it it was so it was so one at the time it was so different right to to have them actually plant a camera in the theater and show like live reactions of people being afraid of what they were watching because you know what it is you know what it is they tapped into fomo yep full-on fomo FOMO before fomo was a thing feeling of missing out they said we need to show people the experience that they could be having if they go to see this like you do Mm -hmm. not want to miss this and even on the freaking poster you know what it says don't see it alone. Mm-hmm. And that was something that they that they uh, marketed. I feel like they did for the first three, where it was like they were really pushing, like, do not go see this by yourself. Because by yourself. honestly, honestly, paranormal activity, um, really all of them are definitely um, horror movies that beg to be seen with a friend or especially a group of friends, like groups of like group, you need to go in a group and see this. And I actually did do this in 2011 with the third one. Um, It was freshman year. Um, It was, I think it was six of us who went to go see it. And I remember because um, I got carded and my friend Josh did not get carded, even though he was only like 
one year older than me or what we were almost the same age but he had a beard so that's why he didn't get carded people with beards never get people with beards and people with boobs never get carded like if you have big boobs they don't card you i didn't know that about the chest mm-hmm. hmm. well but yeah those beards will those beards will throw you off every time because i'm like yeah he, the- he looked like a full-on professor at the college so yeah it it made sense the other interesting thing that this campaign, the marketing campaign did very well is that it, it, whenever there's a scary movie, right, that comes out, the first question that is asked a lot of the time, well, how scary is it? How you know? scary is it? And this, at least, it set a challenge for people, right? Don't see it alone. And like come be scared (laughs) (laughs) because all of these people they said you they said how scary is it like no it was like can you survive this movie right basically can you make it through are you brave enough to come see this in this trifecta of this marketing campaign for me is that all of my religious friends like my mom was even like i don't do this demon nonsense you can't keep it <laughs> mm. so i feel like a lot that was like the other side of it Listen, was like because gr- that's one of the other reasons that people bought into what was being sold because it's one thing you know, to, to have Michael Myers and, and Freddy Krueger running around with a knife, that's another thing Tell me a demon is going to come, is going to follow me home from the movies. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. They were not. I remember um, Paranormal Activity, uh, the marked ones, um, around the time that came out. Um, I have some Latino friends who I think grew up Catholic or were practicing Catholic, but they were like, yeah, my mom or my parents or even themselves, they were just like, no, we don't. No, we don't, we don't, we don't mess with that. Mm-hmm. That's not our. Because I told my mom I wanted to go see it. And she's like, well, then you can't come back here. <laughs> she's like, I'm not playing with this. Not today. Mm-mm. And then she told my grandmother. And then my grandmother called me, why would you want to go see this demon movie? Right. And it's just like, because yeah, it it really, it really taps into a different kind of vein when it's, um, because supernatural horror, I feel like always does that. But it was when, a, when it's like a specific type of, supernatural horror it's i think i feel like it's the same with the conjuring especially the um especially the the first two um or particularly the first one the difference with the found footage situation it's it makes it real yeah it's very intimate there's no there's no um it's not that there's like a uh um it's not like it's a third person there's no I'm character in between it's you just, and whatever is happening. You're, it's just you and this footage. It's like, and yep. the way the marketing was one thing, but also the way that the film was formatted. Paramount Pictures would like to thank the families of Mika mm-hmm. Slow and Katie Featherston for, for donating this footage. And, it's like, and, then, and then the ending, no closing credits. The only thing there was like, you know, um, any relation um, either coincident was coincidental or, you know, all that stuff. But then after that, it's just a black screen. There are no, mm-hmm. there are no closing credits. It just, that's it. So it really feels like this was something like, and they also, it was like Paramount Pictures, like, thank 
the families of Mika and Katie and the the police department or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my god. And it just makes you think like if you were if you were none the wiser, Mill, if you were none, the, you wiser, were none the wiser, you would actually think it's like the Blair Witch Project. You would because so many people thought it was real. They even for Blair Witch, they even had like a website for all like the missing um people. Yeah. They had flyers up. It's too it's like I'm telling you, marketing is one of those things that can make or break your film. Like, mm-hmm. either it can break it in the fact that it can either be misleading in the worst way possible, or um, it can barely market it at all, so people don't know, and there will be, like, no box office returns. Or it can make your movie by bringing it massive attention and awareness and just drumming up it keeps jumping up interest and then what they'll do is you know after it's been released they'll do new trailers or new tv spots that actually take in genuine reactions or reviews to you know again boost up numbers and mm-hmm. paranormal activity was like before it was even released wide i feel like it was like it was it was bubbling under the surface like there was a lot of interest in seeing this film like i still remember that this was during the days of MySpace. I never had a MySpace page, <laughs> but I remember uh, MySpace. MySpace was Facebook before Facebook was Facebook. MySpace was like the MySpace was the thing. That's where all that's where everybody was with the you know they had the music on their pages, and that's when we all knew code to like have music play on your my, page. MySpace page was blue with like clouds that would float. Uh huh. And it would automatically play Lupe Fiasco. <laughs> I put so much work into that. Everybody was page. everybody was proud of their um, MySpace pages and their top eight. You know that royalty. Yeah, I never had a MySpace page. I didn't get into social media until I got a uh, a Facebook page. I forget which year, but MySpace was you know MySpace was that girl back in like the. Um, the mid 2000s so this is like 2007 or 2008 when the film is still making its run i think around film festivals but they had this campaign where it's like if you want to see this film in your city demand it so people had to like go online and i think uh either vote or sign petitions or whatever they had to do just to re- like really drum enough interest um for the distributors to know like this is where we can show this movie next. And I had never, before that, I had never seen where you had to, I was just used to, you know, oh, the movie's out, let's go see it. This was one where people mm-hmm. had to actually actively have a hand in getting the distributor to bring it to them for it to see it. So again, mm-hmm. FOMO. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's just, it's even like years, years later, like 15 years later, it is still amazing the marketing to look back on and just seeing the effect that it had and how effective it was it was a beast it was a it was a it was a super effective beast yeah that's true but then also it 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 stood out because in the 2000s right like that's when all the torture porn stuff started oh yeah saw hostile and we had some other supernatural horror with the ring of 2002 and the grudge okay it sounds those were remakes 
So it was a little bit of a different vibe, right? Yeah. And I think that Paranormal Activity being a supernatural horror film and being a found footage film really separated itself from everything else that was in the box office. Specifically for horror. I feel like... And it wasn't like, it wasn't a haunted house. And I think that before then... The most popular stuff was from like the 70s and the 80s, like The Exorcist, The Omen, Carrie, Poltergeist, The Shining. And that is also very different from from those things. Yeah. Yeah. We were at the so between the years 2007 and 2009, which is, you know, when this the the cycle when the film was uh, like film vessel released, then, you know, demanded and then limited than wide release we had i feel like there were three key found footage movies that came out uh parent activity was one of them but it was the last to come out like wide release but the other two were um cloverfield which came out on january 16 2008 and then quarantine which came out on a cloverfield i still feel like is more of a sci-fi film You are not wrong. You are not wrong. Sci-fi horror film, but yeah, you are not wrong about that. Yes, because it's like a. It, it, it came from. Or wait, we don't know where it came from. <laughs> they didn't. I mean, well, we did see like something at the very end when they were on the ferry. So something, something came out of the sky into the water in the background. But um, you know. But again, it's like where it's this. It focuses on a, um. Uh, not an extraterrestrial, but some kind of unknown creature. So it's like a creature feature, which is kind of like sci-fi. It's horror. I get it. You're right. So kind of sci-fi. But then well, I'm saying this because it was definitely in the horror genre and it was found footage. And I'm saying quarantine because it was found footage horror. They were both released the same year, January for Cloverfield. Then we had um quarantine around halloween of 2008 so on october 10th and they were both found footage and then you know the the following year we finally get parent activity in a wide release form but what separates i think parent activity from both of those is the fact that it was more it was definitely more of a it was just the intimacy level of the film in and meaning it was just Mika and Katie in the audience. And what do you mean? In Cloverfield, you had, you know, you had our main troop of people, but they were traversing um a whole city that is being ransacked by this monster and the army fighting it. And it's just all this chaos. There's a lot of um outer forces that work here, aside from them trying to survive them. And then with quarantine, it was many people trapped in a apartment building so we're you know there's a lot to focus on but with paranormal activity it was a house it was a couple and it was some kind of supernatural activity that they were confronting Mm. okay i get that so because like cloverfield and blair witch right the 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 perspective is already so limited because of how it's filmed because of 
the amount of people, but you're saying it's even more limited because there's only two people and we're in this one location and that's it. Yeah, because with Blair Witch, um, even though it was only three people, um, the setting was so wide. Like yeah. they were I mean, they were in the wood, then they got lost. So it's just like, now we have to try to find our way out of here. With Paranormal Activity, it was, they established very early on, like, you can't leave. Mm-hmm. Because even if it doesn't, because he even said, uh, and this is even towards the end, the la- the the doctor last time he visited, where it's just like um, leaving won't solve anything. Like it will follow you wherever you go. So you go. it's like nowhere, <laughs> nowhere is safe. And the, and then with it being like set in the home, it just upends. It's like um, it's like it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs all over again. If your physiological needs are not being met it is just going to topple the whole tower and mm-hmm. they're like your home is supposed to be like your sanctum and your um your sanctuary yes, and all that mm-hmm. and then when that goes out the window especially in a horror film what 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 are we left to do especially knowing that like it doesn't matter where you go it's just the only one the only one who really was going to be safe in this film who actually had the option to leave and be okay was Mika. Mm-hmm. But I think the other strong thing about why this, this why film, this is foundational, but no, just as a film in general, okay. like why this film is so strong mm-hmm. because all of the things that we've been talking about with this, like found footage situation is, is like this, this cinema verite moment, right? Because even, oh, I didn't tell you, I finally watched Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. So random. And well, s- even, Final Girls. <laughs> but no, I, I bring it up because like these these mockumentaries and these these found footage films are all in that that realm of this cinema verite. I'm going to tell you this this specific type of truth without, like we were saying earlier, without a narrator, without another person present to tell the audience the truth for them right and it's kind of this like pseudo reality that's being created throughout this with this media with this medium in particular and what paranormal activity does that I don't think any of the other ones do is show me footage when the people on that are being recorded are not awake Oh, just knocked out. Like the setup of the the camera watching them sleep when it's the bed and the room and the door in the hallway is, so... is probably some of the creepiest footage I have ever sat through and watched. And it is so it's be- such a simple setup, but it is so the way it is so effective. It's it, because of the night the night vision because it makes the footage harder to kind of look at and 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 digest. Then you've got these timestamps that are that feel like it's in real time, right? And then you're wa- you're watching never, surveillance footage and it feels yeah it feels almost wrong where it's like and right like I'm not supposed to be looking exactly. at exactly. And then it it doesn't follow that formulaic thing about how at like three thirty three every night like there's gonna be a bump. Like it, there were it varies when the door slams. It varies when there's a growl. It varies when there's like foot 
sounds coming from the hallway or whatever. That's why it's called activity because it's different kinds of occurrences. It's not always the same thing. And you're right. It doesn't happen always at the same time. And the film, I think the film hits a fever pitch um, when I think it's at the hour and seven minute mark when the activity starts to happen during the day with the picture. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. and and then it's also marked where it's like, okay, it is getting worse. Like it's it's building to things are getting hot. Things are getting very dangerous right now. It's building to something. We need to something has happened. We need to go. Mm-hmm. And it's frightening. It's very frightening because it's like you feel watching that footage. You feel like you you can't look away, even though you want to, because you're so scared and you feel so powerless. And it's like. One of the thing I one of the things I like about this movie, and what I what I found um, foundational for me, and I want to thank um, Oren Pillay for. He is the um, writer director. writer director. Bless him. Um, I don't see his name too much these days, but he was big, you know, back when this came out and back when the you know the sequels. But I really like the escalation of the activity and like the the subtleties of the things that happened where it just, it wasn't all, it wasn't jump scares and loud bumps. It was like, um, it could be light stuff. Like, uh, you'll hear like, a um, like pitter patters in the house, or you'll hear like three knocks or creaks or, um, one of my favorite things was, and you have to really look though, the slow shadow across the door and there's nothing else there. But yep. it's the yep. or when it or when Katie was standing up and her shadow moved before she did out of the room. And it's like it was just the little stuff that really and how it kept escalating that really creeped me out and that really had an effect on me because it it's it it's it's like you were saying about um barbarian and with it being, you know, like where it's building to a punchline or it's building to like it's it's like a crescendo but it doesn't it's not really going to be like loud it just it really so like night number one i don't think anything happened aside from like some sound effects which could have been um anything yeah defined it wasn't necessarily like demons it it could have been the the house settling or you know like but i think that's the other interesting thing about paranormal activity because to a point where it's undeniable like nope this is this but the the way that the film is set up, it primes us, right? Because like, like hands down, it is not as scary as Blair Witch. It's just not. Blair Witch is probably one of the most un- irrationally terrifying things I've ever seen, especially like when you first watch it, like you were saying earlier, like first watch of that, I was bugging out. <laughs> this is not that, but what paranormal activity does is that it primes us for the bullshit because we keep watching the same footage with the same setup over and over and over again so we know because we've been trained <laughs> to be like oh damn it here we Not go trained. again katie all right um katie. what um oh my god what's the name of the um the schrodinger have love Pavlov's dogs were trained. Schrodinger's cat is something else. So we're so we're paranormal Pavlov. That's the title. That's the title. That's the title. Thank you so much. There we go. 
glad to be of service. <laughs> but like, the, but it's, it's like you you go through the day, right? And then because like the first the first scene, you go through the day, something weird is happening. Maybe, maybe not. At night, we're gonna set up a security camera and find they out. Had, they, and then yeah. day two comes, it, and okay, security camera night. We're we're that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the security camera footage. By day three, we're like, come on now. And it's like, and then, and then like now, when Katie. there's when there's some kind of, uh, um, because the movie would sometimes do this thing where it would trick us, like red herrings, like Katie with the spider. Yeah, where we're thinking, oh my god, it's it's something, and it's just a spider. I mean. But story. also, no, for real. That's like that's and then the that's bullshit real. Comes though. when Katie's like standing over the bed in the same spot for like four hours. What's going on, Katie? What are we? What are? What are? What? Mm. <laughs> and you are you're out, or she's outside on the swing in the cold, just, and didn't set not one alarm off, but just she out there. Great, fine, fantastic, and like it made you. The it made me mad watching it. It always makes me mad. Because the husband, Micah, is all like, we don't need a demonologist. I'm a man. I got it. Do you? Are we, you have nothing. Okay. You and your cameras have are nothing. We, okay, <laughs> are, we, are we launched into this conversation? Are we doing that? Okay, because yes. I, have, I have many words to say. Now that I have, I have lived on this earth for, um, you know, almost, almost 30 years, or I have become familiar with... Um, a lot of sociological concepts and around, especially around men relationships and masculinity and what have you, all that stuff. It's, you know, cishet, all that stuff with, with those men. Um, Mika. Not you basically saying now that I'm woke, <laughs> now that I'm grown and educated. <laughs> now that I know the arts of men, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> watching this again, um, I just, Mika, there were so, there were so. I have this shirt. Um, it's a, it's actually a sweater. Uh, it's a sweatshirt from um the Reed, which is um um the best time to wear a striped sweater. Um, which is all the time. Do you not know? That I part? don't. I'm s- it's SpongeBob. <laughs> but it's a but it's a sweatshirt from the Reed podcast in their shop. But it says "Break up with him." I wanted I wanted wow. so badly for the movie to go that way because there were just so many different instances of shit that he did where it's just like, sir, this is not how a relationship should work. I really don't like this dynamic. And I know that she is going through a lot of shit. But at the same time, I really don't think that she needs you or that y'all need to be together anymore because this is a shit show. Um, I mean, it's it started with the cameras because she she said several yeah, she said true. several different times like um I don't think we should be filming this I'm not comfortable with this and I get that Mika wanted to document it and that wasn't important but at the same time are we as a as if you're in a relationship I would think that you guys want to be like you want to work as a team you guys are partners so about that <laughs> so, please feel free to correct me because I don't have a man I I I 100% agree with the statement. When you are with someone in a partnership, you should work together and not in opposition of one another. Heard, co-signed, all those things. And also, there's always an and. <laughs> there's always an and. There's always a but. And as 
the documentarian in my relationship, I always cross that line and have to be pulled back onto the other side of it, right? Because I'm always like, no, we need for prosperity, for whatever reason I feel like filming this today, we're going <laughs> to, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to make a video. I'm going to do all those things because I think I'm making this Kanye West documentary of my life that will one day become a three-part series on Netflix. Everything needs to be documented. And that's like, because Brandon has made like a joke of like, God, I'm going to be like going through something really emotional. And you're just going to have a camera on my face. It's like, mm, maybe. <laughs> so what you're saying is um, Mika needed um, a tighter and shorter leash basically for this kind of thing. But it's like you, you, I think that that's also the give and take of it all because you know me, you, we, you've been with me for I don't know how long, you know, I'm going to do this. Mm. And yeah, we're going to do the song and dance. You don't want to do it. Okay, great. And then I'll, I won't do it for like half a day. And I'm going to sneak up with you with the camera and you're going to forgive me. And we're going to do it. It's going to be fine. Like if that, that seemed like the dance in their relationship. This is how we always do this. You didn't want me to film on your birthday. Guess what? I did it. You didn't want me to film you being pregnant and giving birth. Guess what? There's a, there's a, there's a three-part DVD that I filmed for you. You're welcome. Okay, so maybe that is their song and dance. Okay, if that's their song and dance, it's their song and dance. But I think what happened with this song and dance is it it definitely fell apart when it came to the Ouija board. Oh, yeah, the Ouija board is always... That was a line that should have never been crossed. It honestly shouldn't... It honestly should not have even been brought up in the first place. But um, I think this is having to do with uh, Mika being white specifically uh specifically <laughs> um a white male um and with mika like uh, maybe a cishet white male because there was a lot of that going on um uh, where it were what is that explain that this is this is my house i'm going to do what i can to like a dean wants to come in here and mess with my girl like i'm going to do what i can to put a stop to it or protect it i'm just like mika you're this this white male masculine patriarchy crusade that you're going on toby doesn't give a fuck about any of that baby it's not gonna work (laughs) it's not gonna happen he already he already put a crack on your end of the picture he don't like your ass it's not gonna work though i'm sorry but i just felt like mika he the way that he was going about things and his his um his ideas and the way that he was trying to solve this problem was doing a lot more harm than good and none more so than when he brought in that fucking Ouija board because Katie told him specifically even more so than not wanting to film that the Ouija board was an absolute no because the um the doctor um had said like the doctor who worked with ghosts not demons that was um i think dr avery's who wasn't even available for the film but the doctor who came in about the ghosts had said that um ouija boards act as like a port like you're basically inviting it in if you use a ouija board and mika but there are rules to you know you have to say goodbye exactly you have to say you know you have to say goodbye yes no all that stuff but with mika i don't again with what you I don't think he was aware of any of the rules but at the same time it's just like with everything that is going on why would you want to even give it um um uh um 
a modicum, just even even a morsel of invitation to do even more harm or work or even talk to it. Like, let's not even give this any space to fester. Again, with the with how the doctor had said it thrives off negative energy. Well, why the fuck are y'all arguing? Like, what are we doing here? So with the Ouija board, when he brought that in, that really set off, like, that was so many red flags at one time. And that really set off my whole thing where it's just like, Katie, like, I think you, because, um, and we, and we can get into this in a minute too. Like, I don't know who needs to go, but somebody has to leave this relationship because it's not going to work. Because when he brought that Ouija board in there, he had the nerve to say, because she said, Mika, like, what are you doing? And I love how we couldn't see her at all in this scene on camera. But off camera, you knew what the vibes were. Like, you can probably picture her same stance and everything because the tone of her voice was so sharp. And she's like, Mika, like, what did I tell you? Like, what the fuck did I tell you? I said, no Ouija board. I said, not to you. And he said, I didn't buy a Ouija board. Like, I I told you, I promised you I would not buy a Ouija board. I borrowed it. When I, t- when I tell you, I would have grabbed mm. the cast iron skillet. <laughs> not Medea level violence. Oh, there would have been no grits. It would just been the cast iron skillet in my hand. And it's just like, you're getting the business. Because how dare you? Again, this thing is not affecting him. It's like, it's like a contact high. He's getting it because he's in the same vicinity. But it's not affecting him directly. It is after katie it is it is dealing with her and it's just like uh, why would you want to exacerbate that by bringing in something i specifically told you not to do you're going to do it so when he brought the ouija board in there i was honestly very surprised that he was still like it it would have been immediate like i you need to go this is not working like that you know there's no sleeping on the couch like you need to pack your shit and go because this is not going to work anymore. Like the fact that she even went out, she still went out on the date with him. I was like, no, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe at that point I would have changed plans and uh, went out by myself. Cause I'm just like, I need to be away from you right now. Cause I can't even trust you right now. That's what it was. It was the most blatant and honestly disgusting breach of trust I had seen in the whole movie. Well, I mean, she didn't see it that way clearly because she ain't leaving. Uh, y'all do everything. Y'all do everything but leave. But yeah, I was just, that was the part. What you mean, y'all? Oh, I wasn't referring. Not you, girl. Not you. (laughs) I I don't know why I took such personal offense to that, but you just said y'all. And I don't know if it was like hetero offense or like womanly offense. (laughs) No, I feel like. I feel like the heteros, the girls don't believe in. They don't believe in. Oh my God. Maybe I feel like that was, I feel like, I don't know what card that was that like, that just burst out of you. But, um, and I mean, if the shoe fits, Mel, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I was just, I told Andrew before you got on the call, we have friends that have coined the term hetero bullshit. Partner queen, shout out to y'all. Cause yeah. And that was both the card I played and the offense. You took. Cause yeah, honey, there was a lot of hetero <laughs> bullshit at work in this, especially with Mika's whole thing. because. Like I said, him, I like I appreciate the 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 want and desire to protect Katie and like do what you can, but I did I just felt that at some point he should have understood that things had gotten to a point where 
the your conventional ways are not going to work for this very and extremely unconventional situation. Like it's already been established that even if y'all do leave the house, it's still going to follow you. So if y'all checked into um, the Motel Six or wait, but judging by their house, which I want to talk about, they would have probably checked into the Four Seasons or, or the Hilton. But it doesn't like it would have. Toby would have been at the ice machine. Like it just there's no. Wow. Not at the ice machine. Listen, there was none in the room. He had to get him some and he was going to be right back. So I just feel like you already know that it's there. No, know where you go. It's going to work. And then you seem so against calling the demonologist. You seemed even against, um, I think it was Dr. Jeffries. I don't, he called him a fruit. And that's how you know this is from the, the mid. Dude, Early, the, the I was just like, who yes. uses that as an insult anymore, girl? What, like, can we get real? But, oh my God. I was just, Mika, I, I did not realize how being an adult would have me watch this. And then I just grow very tired of him by the end of the film. Because I'm just like, sir, you were, you are not helping and the doctor's name was Dr. Fredericks. Sorry, his name was Dr. Fredericks. So yeah, Mika, I don't, I really don't know. Like, it just got to a point where he was being a hindrance more than a help in a lot of the stuff that he was doing. And I really just wish Katie was like, I mean, and I don't want her to be alone either to take on this, this, this evil. But at the same time, it's like, you were not, you're not helping you're not helping, sir. Like, what are we doing? And then I want to know, I want to know, Mel, maybe, and we do this a lot on this show, especially as, um, <laughs> as, as black people. Um, I really want to know, and maybe it was the year, this is 2000, in the film, it was 2006. This all took place like fall of 2006. But I want to know, with Katie being a student, at the university and studying for an English degree because she wanted to teach. And apparently Mika is a day trader. So I'm going to say Mika is the breadwinner here, right? Mika makes no money. How? I feel like day trading is the biggest scam in the world. So, all right. What, what do you okay, do? Okay, okay. With that said, somebody out there, maybe Mel, you can, but I, I want to know, how is it that they could afford this four-bedroom two-bathroom house. Wasn't it like $80,000? I think I saw a meme recently that was like the paranormal activity house was $80,000 and I'd have had to suck it up because <laughs> for four bedrooms, I'm just going to be in there with Toby and we're going to be all right. I mean, and, I mean, and that's, hold on. I feel like that's the way it would have went if um, Mika and I think that would have been a conversation that would have been had more if Mika and Katie were black because I just felt like the there was there there was never that conversation about how oh we can't leave our money's all tied up here or there where was the economic situational awareness because I really want to know so like was this house paid off were y'all renting how much was rent because I don't think Katie was working I don't unless she was she selling was she selling jewelry online with the whole because she was like she had her little station where she was doing beads and stuff but or maybe that was just a hobby i don't know but i really got caught up in the fact that this house is big 
I was actually counting the rooms as they went through there, like looking for Toby. I'm like, that's a guest room. That's another guest room. What? Oh, that's another room. That's a full bathroom. I was like, yeah, I just 80,000. All right. So what, if that was, was that 80,000 in 2006 or is that 80,000 now? No, no, now. I think it's fake 80,000. No, now, no. Now. I don't think that was, I don't think that house ever cost. Maybe that house cost eighty thousand dollars in nineteen fifty. That'd probably be a million dollars today, one point four million. I so because they were in California, right? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, I'm I think sure. they were in Fresno. They were in California somewhere, but and they were in suburbia. So it's just like, oh, there's no way, there's no way that house would be less than probably like seven hundred k today. But I don't know how much they were paying, but. Mika as a day trader, unless he was very successful, and they're young. I'm a, if Mika is going, I mean, if Katie is going to college, I'm going to say they're they're both twenty something. They're they're twenty somethings in this movie, and I don't know what kind of I don't. And although, as we found out in the sequels, Katie and Christy kind of come from money, so maybe it was some of mother's money. I don't know, but I feel like. But that's generally like the the story that goes around, right? How when um, young people of color go to to try to purchase a home for the first time, a lot of the realtors will ask them, "Well, why don't your your family or your parents just pay the down payment?" What because are you talking that about? Like, historically, that's not, is what happens. That is not a reality for a lot of us. I'm like, what is it like? Um, when I went to college, it's like, oh, um, but you can take out a little here and then. Uh, your your pay, or your dad can pay the rest. And I'm just like what, what? Like my dad, my dad actually had a conversation where with me where it was like, um, I was only going to be able to attend my um alma mater the first year and then have to go to community college like the remainder because we just couldn't afford. Luckily, that did not happen. But the fact that that was a conversation that we had to have, and then um, I can't even think about like getting a house like back then well i mean i was only like what 17 so i wasn't thinking about a house but i'm just saying like for mika and katie what i just i i know it's not i know it's not like centrally important to the plot or anything here but i just feel like that that kind of situational awareness would have been different if they were if if this were if this were a different um demographic but it's an interesting character study, I think, of anything, right? Because a four bedroom house now, two two whole bathrooms, and like yep. y'all have, and only one of you, I think, is working at the time. Only one of you is like the breadwinner. Like, how does this work? And y'all are and y'all are twenty somethings. How? Because mm-hmm. that does not seem that is uh, is that real in this day and age? I don't for mill- I don't know. Probably don't know. not. I don't know. Probably. So not. I got hung up on that detail because you're right. Toby, we would just, it would have had to have been like um, Lovecraft Country, like the book version where Letty was like, um, we just gonna have to make something work because I ain't leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! <laughs> like, you can't take me, but I'm not leaving. We just, we just gonna have to be roommates. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know because, because that was another thing that also confused me because even if they did leave, it doesn't matter because it will follow you everywhere. And that's a, that's a high stake. I think that made this movie stick out from other movies in this supernatural genre that it's in, where it's like, um, where almost like Insidious, where which came after, where it's like, um, it's not the house, 
it's it's this person like it's whatever it is it's attached to you so it doesn't matter where you go it will follow you so and it really changes up the situation and the dynamic because um i really got confused when even though it was it was at the end, the end of the day it was rejected they didn't go but how they really wanted to leave the house and go like to a hotel or somewhere like they mika had packed the car and everything but it didn't happen and i'm just like what but maybe that's just the human thing to do because this this the house had become a place of such discomfort and trauma that you want to leave that you want to escape it but it's just it just raises the question of is escape really possible in this situation no and how much and how much especially once you go into the series and, and realize like why this happened to these specific people and how much scarier it made the movie Right. And we've talked about that before uh, whenever we discuss the haunted house motif of is the house the haunted place or are the people the haunted thing? And it's always a little bit more impactful. Maybe impactful is the wrong word, but it hits you different when it's the people that are haunted. Like we talked about this with Insidious, because if it was the house then it then that's kind of like anywhere America, this could have been any family and it just so happened to be this one. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it gives the story a little bit more of a mystery when it's that that specific family or one specific person, because now you're also trying while like trying to handle being scared, you're also trying to figure out, well, why was it these two people? Mm-hmm. And then because it things, it just gets, it's all very intrinsic because then it hones in on relationships like uh with the conjuring just like um this is a this is a tight-knit family like they're just of course they're not going to abandon um either like their their own children or or the mother or anything like that and then with the with this one it's like and they they actually did talk about this a little bit where it's like um this had been activity that had been happening to Katie since she was eight years old and it had been following her or um you know becoming active again it would go dormant for some years but then wake up again um throughout her life and now that she's with Mika it's just like he 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 said that um I mean you know this never came up uh like you never told me this is the thing that happened to you like it would have been nice for you to tell me like on the 18th date or the 30th date like any time before we actually decided to before we got married no they weren't th- that's the thing they weren't married though he said before we before we moved in together oh yeah you did say that yep so it's like so they're not they're not married but they but they made the big step in relationship of moving in with one another and when you do that to your point they didn't own that house they're probably renting that house whose name is on the lease though i don't know It just it just makes me think like because Mika had a point as as much as shit as I just talked about him he did have a point because it's like it would have I feel like it would have given him more of a choice whether he wanted to you know make that commitment or not if he knew that this was something that Katie was afflicted with because now it puts him in a position where um, especially when he said it was about I think with Mika a lot of it was about ownership. Where it's like, this is my house. You're my girlfriend. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do what I can to 
like he said, this is my house. You're my girlfriend. I'm going to solve, I'm going to fucking solve the problem. Yeah, but you're right. That that centers him in the equation, it, uh, right? Because now uh, it's not about her. It's not about anything else. It's about his pride. him and his masculinity and, his pride and the things that he is able to do or not do or ward off or, or not. You know what I'm saying? Because then it becomes, yeah, you're right. It becomes Mika about would him. probably be a hoot on these um, male podcasts today that, that they have everywhere. What do you bring to the table? What do you provide? Well, you know, I was going to I was not gonna let some some demon like. Um, what kind of man would I be if exa- I just let a demon come up in my house? Crazy, you crazy. This would have been Please. this would have been so interesting. <laughs> so what kind of man would I have been if I had called that demon? Like who need? Don't nobody need a demonologist. I'm a demonologist now. How about exactly? You? I feel like Mika fits along as in the in that line of um that com- that conversation topic where it's like um men are um only loved for like how much they can provide and stuff like that and i'm just like oh my god mika listen (laughs) it's but i think but again back to the economical thing and how intrinsic this all is with relationships um it makes it harder for i think honestly either of them to leave um if they have made this commitment to one another when they move in with each other because you know there's the whole thing when it comes to finances but it's also like trust and comfort like i've moved in with you we're we're like we're really in this together and even though all this has happened even though all this is happening i can't just immediately like leave you no matter how i feel mel (laughs) i'm gonna keep going until you acknowledge high school musical i know a big classic but so he can't just so i don't think mika could leave because you know well he's that it would look it would be a even if it were even if it were a survival thing it's not going to be like a pretty thing to do it would just be like up and leave but also is your money tied in the house like is your name on the lease would you be breaking the lease how can you move out how can you leave what does that look like for you but how also can you abandon your the person that you love when they are going in through this horrible situation it was just a very, it's like very, I just love how the movie was kind of using those kinds of ropes to its advantage. Like, I'm not going to make this easy for either of you to get out of. Even though it seems like there is an exit, it's not going to be either an easy exit to take or it's not going to be an immediately available exit for you to take. Because honestly, with current activity, it's like, are there really any exits? Again, is there any escape from this? Because Toby is like, the heart wants what it wants, and I'm going to get it. <laughs> any way he can, whether that be, you know, pulling people off the bed or putting um, a photograph that burned up, yeah, should have burned up years ago in a house fire. That was very, and he's like, that what I, again this movie what also made it foundational for me were the scares um mm-hmm. the whole thing with the photograph and i shout out to both mika and katie for their acting like just really incredible acting which really um reinforced how intimate this movie was cuz because it just it felt so real like katie's reactions felt mm-hmm. very human like Genuine, like very yeah. like seeing a photograph 
of you that you haven't seen in years, knowing and knowing that it's you, knowing where it's from immediately, and just like that confusion, but also that paralyzing fear. Like there, there's no rational explanation for how that got here, um, how it survived the fire, and also mm-hmm. um, the fact that it was uh, it was found up where their bed is. It was found above their bed. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, oh, my God, the way Toby played these games, chow. <laughs> like, it's just, it's very, like, um, the best scare for me, though, and this is the one that was featured a lot in the marketing, like, the trailers, the footprints in the baby powder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the, like, oh, my God, because we never, throughout the whole series, um, particularly the first three, um, we never see Toby full on we only see um shadows or footprints or uh visages like little like bits and or or he's covered by a sheet you know like little little yeah, bits and yeah. pieces or indications that he is there but we never actually see him like full on full on corporeal mm-hmm. in the flesh whatever but it just makes it that and how the series will use that to its advantage because the whole thing with the footprints was just so like I I I I confess I never saw this particular one in theaters. I never had that experience. I did see the third one, thank God, but I never had the this one the experience. Mm-hmm. But I just I can't imagine, uh, or I can a little bit from like you know the 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 marketing that I did with the audience point of view. But I can't imagine actually being inside a theater of a packed house, like you know shoulder to shoulder with with the with strangers experiencing that scene for the first time in the beginning yeah like i just like to see because you even if like because you already know like it's real but it's just different when you see those footprints appear and then you see that mm-hmm. it's not even that it definitely is not human mm-hmm. talking about the foot oh the footprints stop right here and then when you when they play back the tape and you see them appear like it's just and then the shadow on the door or again, the part where um, Katie got pulled out of bed. I remember the first time I saw that. I was that's the one for me when she got ripped out that. I bed. remember the first time I saw it. I was like, "Why is her leg moving like that? Like, what's going on?" I didn't know what was happening until um, she woke up and she slowly started being pulled out of the room. And that's when you know she was just screaming for Mika and that whole thing where um, he ran down the door slams. He has to open it. He runs down the hallway. And he has to scream at Toby, like, let her go. Like, let her go. And, like, uh, it was just so intense yeah. because I think. But you know what? Now that you bring that up, I think, too, maybe the reason why they didn't leave was because of that pride. I'm not. Leaving. I'm not going to let it win. Come at me, bro. I'm like, not going to let it I get to me. And to kind of hark back to what you were saying earlier, that is not you are not taking care of the person you have proclaimed to love by making that choice and i wonder yes it would have followed her whatever but like we could have went to a hospital we could have found somebody we could have done a a exorcism or something but no instead of trying to take care of you and the emotional turmoil that you're going through, I would rather stand my ground to prove that I am better than a demon or that I will not be bested by one. 
the whole time I just wanted him to call Dr. Jeffries the demonologist. But now as an adult and as we're sitting there ha- sitting here having this conversation, this is such a deep allegory on like relationships. <laughs> And and handling because that's what I was watching. Like that's how that's yep. that's what because again, yes, it's a horror movie. Yes, there's a demon, but I just felt there was such heavy subtext about relationships. I became so invested, especially when mm-hmm. I noticed how much Mika was fucking up. Basically, how much he was making the situation worse by blatantly. Mm-hmm going against Katie's wishes. And I felt like if this is a normal situation, say there was no demon, say it was just like, a, like um, instead of it being a Ouija board, it was, um, I don't know. Um, but this could be but like, this is anything else, right? Because how fast would he the, have been out the, the door? Supernatural, right. Or, or not. Or, or like, what would these conversations have been like? If the the supernatural was something more mundane, mm. like finances, like trust, like interpersonal relationships with other people, like how we talk to one another, or whatever. Because there was a whole scene like, where they got in that argument where it's just like um, Katie told him to turn the camera off, like, and he refused, and they started like yep. yelling at each other, and then he then he pulled then he pulled the card where it's like, hey, it, this it's not after me, it's after you. It's just like, oh, thank you, Mika. Thank you for the and reminder. Like, you can just, and she's like, you can just get the fuck out. And he's like, oh, whatever. And the immediate next shot is Katie on the floor sobbing <laughs> and Mika comforting her. And it's just like, I I do appreciate the, the film doing, having that dose of, I think, realism in it where mm-hmm. this is a couple who under extreme stress they're going to do the very human thing and have these breakdowns whether that be like anger or sadness but they they never they were together until like better or worse until the end um which you know but then the question now that we're talking now that we're thinking about it through this lens is that the better outcome i don't no no because again i as we saw with the movies uh, going forward and all that stuff, Toby was going to get what he was after regardless. And Toby said, we could do this the way or we way, hard way. I see you want the hard way. So it's like, <laughs> and with that said, Mika, if they broke up, I truly believe Mika would still be alive. I feel like Mika would not have had to die because at that point, Katie, uh, sadly would have been isolated by herself because she did say she couldn't she didn't want to be alone or she couldn't do this by herself and so but if 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 mika was gone katie would have been isolated by herself and i felt like she would have been way more because imagine if they imagine if they had broken up and katie's just alone at night laying in bed she gets pulled out of bed again but then there's no mika there to take her because I think I yeah. think at that point what would happen was if she actually got pulled all the way down the hallway into that room at the dark end of that hallway, I think she would have been possessed. Mm-hmm. I think. But um. But to your point, would she have? Because I mean, because that's the formula. That's what history, happened in all the movies. But in possession situations, right? The person who is possessed has to be broken down physically and mentally in order for the possession to happen. I think she was at that point. So, 
but with the turmoil, but partially because of the turmoil within her relationship. So yeah. I'm wondering, yeah. my, my question is if you, if they would have broken up and she would have been able to reconcile her emotions with, with that part of herself, would the possession still have happened in the way that it it happened? I would say no, but honestly, it would depend on how quickly Toby was able to make his move after the breakup happened. Because if it was still fresh, he would have been in there like somewhere. If it had happened like say a month or two afterwards, where she's um wearing less than going out more. Wow. Sorry. Now I had to break up to show myself what I could do. Sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. Um, you know, hotline bling. But um, I feel like then it would have been different because she would have been she would have had more emotional fortitude, especially since the fact that she had been dealing with this from a young age. She knows yeah. the deal. But um, I just this situation was just different. And so I do, but I do think though, if they had broken up, Mika would probably have definitely survived but that but depending on how soon after they broke her, i just don't think that it would have made the situation better for katie unfortunately because at that point they were just everything was they were just so broken already but i, I just yeah. think that the ouija board though i think if they had broken up like after the ouija board like immediately after that maybe the possession wouldn't have happened the same way it happened in the film it would it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been the same, but if they had broken up um after that argument where she told him to get the fuck out and say he actually did, I think that's when it would have been a wrap. Yeah. So you're right. It is okay. it is a good like mediation on relationships because it's a it's a very it is such a watching it again with, with thinking it thinking about it like that, it was such a uh rich dynamic. Uh, between the two that I was like really like really picking apart and unpacking because I I could not understand for the life of me why after meeting with Dr. Frederick um, or uh, Dr. yeah Dr. Fredericks why didn't you immediately call Dr. Avery Avery's well why would I no because I can handle this I didn't want to talk to the first guy in the first place so sick of it Mel I'm like he gave y'all his number I think he said he he, he was free at the time why y'all waited literally two weeks and that's when the activity got worse and they were like okay now we need to call dr avery's and guess what dr avery's was out of town (laughs) you said guess what you waited and we're just just like (laughs) which i don't know what dr avery's what i don't know if he would have been able i don't know if he would have been able to save katie i really don't know that but i feel like he would have been able well, to do nobody something. Who, the only time somebody who has been possessed has ever come back is in the Insidious Conjuring series. Everybody else who's ever been possessed has died because. Oh of shoot! It. So we should have called. They should have called Elise then. Yes, they should have. I think they Elise. were both in California. So hey, she might have answered. I don't know. She might have been able to get over there with Specs Elise and Tucker. Elise is the only one with a with a good track record. I was She's s- the only one out here winning championships. I was either going to say call Elise or call Lorraine and Ed. Somebody. No, Lorraine and Ned, they be like, they be like capturing the evil, but they don't be like reversing the evil. They haven't saved a soul. <laughs> they would have put Toby in some coffee mug and would have been like, we're going to put this and on put our- it in their little basement of, of death. Cabinet of curiosities. I don't know, but um, I don't know. I just, I feel Katie, but Katie that's was crazy never. That I've never thought to look at it like that before. 
I've never thought to look at this as an analysis of really of like toxic. I really got hung up on like those details of their relationship, their dynamic, and like also who they were separately. Like Katie being a student, being an English major mm-hmm. who was who was uh, going in, who was trying to get um, a, t- a teaching degree. That was crazy because like when I went to UNC. I was an English major and I couldn't tell you how many people when they heard my major, they immediately on it, they immediately assumed that I wanted to teach. And it's like, no, sweetie, I don't. What else do you do with an English degree, Jared? I'm gonna call an Uber. And I'm gonna come all the way over to your apartment with my opera glove. And I'm gonna I'm gonna smack you across the face. Cause what you're not gonna do on this day of days is try me on air once again. Wow. <laughs> My bad. God, it was a jokey joke. I'm sorry. You think this is a game, don't you? I'm not joking, bitch. <laughs> Like, don't do me. But anyway. So yeah, so Katie's a Katie's a student. Mika's a day trader. Again, I'm like, I looked at their salaries. Day trading is is the world's biggest scam. Because okay, quick tangent. Oh I go. am obsessed with reality TV. Y'all know this about me. I watch Married at First Sight. Oh. It is an obsession because nobody on that show wants to okay i shouldn't say nobody because there are some people that are still married and they have like kids and stuff like that but 97.365 percent of the time the folks that go on that show they don't want a relationship they don't want a partner they want obsession they want lust and they want like that weird like when you're in high school and you're obsessed about the person that you're dating vibe and it always ends tragically there's a guy on there and you know (laughs) so old school reality tv it was like your name and then your profession so you were a supervising manager a project manager um something random that we've never heard of in our lives so they've they're trying to get away from that on these shows and put these other things that they've come up with like nicknames or like the optimist the the pessimistic lover boy crap like that now that no one cares about Give me your job. I want to judge you based upon what I think you do. Thank you. So there's this guy on it that they gave him his little his little nickname or whatever. And then he's like talking. And then it comes out. He says that he day trades. I'm like, you don't have a job. Scammer. That's like saying you're an entrepreneur on Tinder. You <gasps> aren't real. Oh, the read. Because I can't tell you how many profiles I came across with that on there. Entrepreneur. What you entrepreneurian? You got an LLC? What you doing? Nothing. You're doing nothing. You're sitting in your house on Google making Instagram posts about how to be a billionaire. Day trading is I I can't I I I have never nope. <laughs> you're doing something else. You're doing DoorDash, you're doing Uber Eats, you're doing Task rabbit, and, and, yeah. and nothing's wrong Day with any of those not things. Your nothing bills. is wrong with any of those things. Uber, task nothing right. is wrong. wrong with the things. I don't mean, to, I don't mean, I don't say that to say that there is something wrong with those professions. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, people who say that they day trade that don't work on Wall Street make believe 
that they are making over $100,000 a year by day trading in their apartment. And that is not the case. Because I, I, I mean, I looked it up because I, I, I was curious. Um, it's saying that Google is saying day traders in America make an average salary of $116,000. And I'm sorry, $116,895 per year or $56 per hour. Um, I was trying to see what, because I know that's today, but I was trying to see what that looked like back in 06 and I didn't get any results. But um, if Mika was really making like, in the ballpark of that or however much less that but was isn't and, that like the top percent what do average day traders make because um, i bet you it's like sixty thousand dollars maybe and that and what is that work day like are you trading for eight hours a day every day what does that mean or, because when people say day trading it's such an ambiguous thing no one ever says what it is um orin the the person who wrote and directed the this, tell us about Mika and his and his occupation. Please, How much did I he make? We want to know because I really, I just really, I'm just so curious because I just and I bet you, Toby's curious too. How do they afford this house? That's why he was going so hard. He liked it over there. He had three other rooms he could stay in. He was fine. Is that, that why he caused a fuss? He wanted a new TV. Listen, he said, "I need you to go down to the Best Buy." I need, and, I need upgrade the system. He said he wanted a plasma screen. They were, they had a TV with the big back in the, in their bedroom. He said, I don't want that shit. <laughs> I need more. I'm, I am a guest. I, I am a guest in this house. And so as a guest, <laughs> I get what I want. <laughs> you are a terrible hostess, Katie. I am pulling you down here. That's why he pulled, he was trying to show her the TV. He was trying to show her what was missing that room. And he was going to make her see. That's what was going ridiculous. on back there. Ridiculous. You're ridiculous. <laughs> and the whole thing with um, that scream or that yell and the bump. And then when they went down there and they saw the chandelier screaming, he was up there swinging like Sia and he fell. That's what that was about. Not from the chandelier. Go away. <laughs> I'm sick of you. One, I'm two, three, drink. One, two, three, you. drink. I'm sick of you. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie was foundational to me because the are both of us because the marketing and then the type of scares that it had, like and just how the the intimate feel of it, where it just felt like we were watching something that like felt real and that like we should have been watching because it 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 the the film really um, was able to bounce off of the feelings of FOMO, but also the feelings of like what does happen when you're asleep you know yeah that because i think that was another tagline like um what yeah what happens when you sleep that's the like that was on the poster so it's just it really the movie was very effective in the marketing it it employed to get word out um and like word of mouth as well and then just the movie itself was just um a really incredibly effective scary experience because i know people left that theater paranoid as the fuck oh yeah oh yeah everybody went home different that night everybody so cheers to cheers to Oren. okay cheers to Oren. cheers to um uh jason bloom produced this as well um production company was bloom out but also cheers to uh, which 
whatever executive or group of executives over at Paramount who got wind of this or saw this and were like, we're going to buy this. We're going to, we're going to make an investment. Well, no, it wasn't an executive. So for, for, for my limited knowledge, right. How this works is there are representatives from distribution companies that go, that go on the festival circuit um, and watch all of the things. Right. And then there's like a, depending on the film, the interest, the re- the reception, et cetera, there's like a miniature bidding war of who wants to acquire rights to distribute that film. Uh-huh. And then the filmmakers decide it's purchased and then it's distributed after the fact. So I think this was a little bit different because they poured more money into it. So I really want to understand what that means because the film had been completed on this $15,000 budget, which is still crazy for a feature. Anyways, um, and then they gave them $200,000 more. But what does that mean? I, I really want to know, like, what did they reshoot? Did they pour it all into visual effects? Like, what was the money for? And what did they change in that two-year period? Because then the other interesting thing, after buying the distribution rights and then deciding to redo the film they had to pull it everywhere that it was available Mm -hmm. like like the filmmaker was doing all the things but he had to i'm sure that like his vimeo account whatever trailers he had he had to take it all down because they had bought the rights to it Mm. it was kind of like it reminds me of that is probably one of my favorite stories ever of when Adam, when um, Alfred Hitchcock made Psycho and he had people running around to all the bookstores buying the book so that nobody could figure out how the movie ended before the movie came out. That's insane. Mm-hmm. He's like, nope, we have to t- buy them all. Well, thank God that wasn't made in the age of social media. Yeah, it would have been ruined. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe, I think maybe it went to, you know, maybe some more content for the film you know um polishing it more and um you know making the um more maybe visual effects but also maybe the marketing well yeah the marketing is a is a separate budget i think if they gave two hundred thousand dollars for the film film specifically for production yeah okay i'm one or for Uh post-production i'm wondering exactly how it was distributed into and into what buckets. Okay. Like I'm sure it was VFX. I'm sure they did some more editing, but I'm really wondering if they dis- if they reshot anything. I just I wonder how much of what we saw is that original $15,000 thing or was this $200,000 we're going to go do this again. The world may never know. The world may never know. <laughs> um also, I just thought it was funny towards the end of the movie, like the where Katie was definitely prese- possessed. How I knew the way she rose up, like the Terminator <laughs> from the bed, she just got up. And also that whole thing with them, where they thought they were gonna leave, and then Katie changes her mind. She's all in bed, and Mika just gets frustrated and it's like, "Okay," and leaves. And then Katie says, "I think we're gonna be okay now." When I first saw that scene, everybody who I was watching it with heard like um because it was uh katie said it in two voices mm-hmm. it was like hers and the demon at the same time everyone around me heard that shit i didn't hear it i only heard i, I was like what is everybody freaking out about 
She just said, I think we're good. I didn't hear, I didn't hear, I did not hear that second voice until I watched it um, another time. And I was like, oh, that's what they were talking about. But I swear I did not hear that second voice. I don't know if it was because the volume was too, I don't know. But I, everybody reacted around me and that was funny because I'm just like, what are they, what, what, what? I was like, what's yeah. going on? But yeah, so again, the subtleties of the movie. It's just yeah. incredible. But that was Paranormal Activity, folks. Um, like a, a really big one in the horror, but especially found footage genre. Like it's just that marketing will stand the test of time forever as like one of the best campaigns I think we've seen for like a month. Ever. Uh, just it's so good. So good. Iconic. Like y'all just like y'all, y'all go on the internet right now and just look up like like that that period Paranormal activity trailer yeah, yeah. That, that period of like mar- of, of the marketing for this film like what a time to be alive i'm telling you and this was like during like the early aughts of you know what social media is now and it's just it's incredible the way that um it was so social media was able to be like the the vehicle that really helped this film drop like drove it into this huge box office um success and how it spawned an eventual franchise yeah whole franchise and series um if i had to rank the the first three uh, from like best to you know whatever i would say three one two or wait that's difficult three is definitely number one though three three what was three uh that was the one with uh katie and christy as kids 2011 they were and they lived with their mom and uh uh their mom's boyfriend uh david i think his name was mm-hmm. it was that one that one came out in 2011. that's the one i saw in theaters with friends that one was for me that one was the out of the out of the original trilogy that was the best one and then i think it goes three i, th- I would say three one and two for me three one and two not not i don't have a ranking i haven't watched these enough to have a ranking. Not that nothing is wrong with two for it to like be in last place of the ranking, but one just wins because like again, it was just very unique with the marketing at the time and the scares that it did. So and I just think it was uh, it was obvious they were going to have a sequel after having that massive success, but I would I would say that two was strong enough to hold the baton and not fall into being this thing where it was just like oh it was just a movie to make money like no this paranormal activity 2 was actually genuinely scary like the first one was like that scene in the kitchen with the cabinets yeah yeah and then in the third one when they did the same thing well not the same thing but it was set in the kitchen it was another kitchen scare you know which one i'm talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. when i tell you i i didn't even it was like a millisecond before everything happened that's why i noticed what was actually going on in the scene i was like what is happening and then boom and i was just in the whole theater jumped at one mess oh and before we before we close the crit we didn't even talk about the alternate endings oh there were alternate endings so there there were so, so many. there was the there was the an ending the original ending where mika gets thrown towards the camera you know, it falls, the the camera falls, immediate uh Katie comes to his body, sniffs it, looks at the camera, smiles, and then like her face morphs demonically before she lunges at the yep. camera and then it ends. And the under the under ending was um 
similar to that, but she slit her own throat mm-hmm. and then collapsed. So Katie mm-hmm. died. I don't, and then I don't know what happened with the other Indians after that. Well, no, because there was an OG OG ending that was with the $15,000 budget. We made this film and once Paramount bought it, they showed it once and then they changed it. Oh, do you know what that ending was? Mm-mm. You don't know what they are. Damn. Must not have been strong enough for them to. But that I don't think that's the right way to think about that, because remember, every time I think of like a a test screening, I go back to the Stepford Wives and how the and how the studio messed that up because of all of these like opposing opinions. I just think that they wanted something that was maybe more pr- more prototypical of the genre maybe uh, i don't know but like i said i don't know what it was but you know when when things start getting a little art house studios don't know how to handle it especially when they <laughs> and they're like no we gotta we gotta come yeah, back we gotta especially come back when they want the film to be palatable or marketable money. you know all that stuff so um if y'all can find what alternative was or maybe we'll just look it up afterwards we'll just yeah we'll, we'll, i am we'll read about it intrigued. we'll read about it mm-hmm. um but that mm-hmm. was paranormal activity for this week's crit we hope you guys enjoyed and remember like if you find yourself in a relationship that is beginning to mirror mika and katie's um communication is very important and hopefully you always have the choice to leave and i would say if it's not easy enough for you to um maybe start 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 trying to figure out how you can make that exit Cause I just, I really just felt like, I know she already has a demon on her back, but she had like Mika was not helping. I just felt like if y'all would just break up and separate, I feel like then maybe like she can like take this on in a different way. But I, the Ouija board was just a unforgivable. Like you, you, you bastard. So Jerry, you are stuck on this betrayal, you bastard. I just like in the depths of your soul. I just, I like deception. Disgrace, like that's a no no. That's a no no because, in and I mean, we see it all the time in horror movies when they bring. I just what well, might well have to make it, but I just feel like if it were if it were a black couple or if it were a group of black people and a Ouija board was introduced, instant no. Well, no, because like there was a moment where teenage Lauren and her teenage boyfriend and her teenage boyfriend's friends went to like four targets, a Walmart and a CVS looking for a Ouija board. We didn't find one, but we were actively searching for one. By the grace of God, y'all didn't find one because he looked at y'all and was like, what the fuck is going on here? What is happening? Are these the children that I. <sighs> he said, fix it, me fix it and that's what he did <laughs> that's what he did he made sure y'all were not able to find diddly squat at those stores and i just cannot we... believe the gall of you and you know speaking of toxic relationships that one was oh boy because now that i'm thinking back to this moment it was me the guy that i was seeing at the time all of his friends and his ex-girlfriend okay so i i think i figured out the next movie that we're writing <laughs> and uh, oh, you ever look back on younger you and be like dang the person i am now i do i would have never tolerated i that. really so do for me i really I do. Laugh 
myself to tolerate you know, these situations. I do. I do. Ooh. I do. I look back and I just say, you know, yeah, girl, what were we thinking? What were we doing? What were we doing? It, what were we being crazy? Out here looking crazy. And for what? For what? For what? Final curls, Mel. Final curls. The the spinoff podcast of Scary Cream. <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> what were we thinking? An active retrospective on the bullshit we allowed in our lives. Or we'll just call it how 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 did we get here? Like, you know, um nobody or no nobody's supposed to be here. No. And the theme song will be like a remix of, you know, Deborah Cox's like I'll I'll chop and screw it or something. Or find somebody in Houston who can do that. But yeah, I don't know. Um, but you said that uh you did see Hunk for Jesus Save Your Soul. Can you yeah, tell the so two things from feel? my final curls. The Hunk for Jesus Save Your Soul was good. The ending I'm here nor there. I expected it to end differently than it did. I did too. Um, I felt like there was much to be. Oh God, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, Much to be desired from that ending. But at the same time, I feel like it fit the, it fit the narrative where it's just like, where we go from here is where we go from here. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I I appreciate the fact that the story wasn't this like prototypical, like hero's journey-esque story, but it was just, I'm still trying to reconcile with the ending and the creative choices behind it. But overall, the movie was solid. Like it was good. It was funny. I agree with you. Those darker moments were a little bit heavier. Oh yeah. There were times that I was very uncomfortable yep. But I think it all worked. When we were on the basketball court. Oh, my God. Brandon told me that he thinks it's about Eddie Long. Yep. That's what a lot of people have said. Yep, too. I I would not I would not argue with that. I feel like it, it is that and um, probably some other things as well. But uh, that's that's but that's what the that is something that is a part of satire where it does pull from real life situations it, it it puts a mirror on it you know yeah so yeah um i'm but i'm glad that you find i'm glad that you got to watch because yeah it was it was something else and i i loved it um regina hall and uh sterling k brown did um a wonderful job as did nicole bahari who was playing um somebody at the rival church but um the the mime scene did you laugh at the mime scene Never would I was made. laughing at Nicole Bahari at the at the rival church. The but uh towards the mime scene made me uncomfortable. Thank you. Cause I that that was the part where it was just like it was I know it was framed to be funny, but I was so sad I could not laugh. I was just like it again, tragedy. Mm. Tragedy. So I'm glad you got to see that. Um Next week, I'm going to send out the newsletter to update y'all on some other things that are going on. Jared and I had a fantastic guest podcasting experience Let me recently. tell you something on this day of days. That was so much fun. <laughs> it was so much fun. We had such a good time. And I feel like it's going to be such a, a fun 
film for y'all to listen to. So that information is going to be in the uh, newsletter as well. And the people whose podcast that we guested on are like some of the most amazing people that I feel like we've met doing podcasting, um, like since we started. And I fell off of my like idea to try to boast other people's podcasts that I listen to, but I'm going to start incorporating that in the newsletter and they are going to be prominently displayed. So check because to check them out because it's amazing, amazing work that they're doing. But yeah, so await that news, critters, because it was it was a great time. Um, but yeah, other than that, my cross for you. Uh, no, no, not really. Uh, no, no final curls. It's just you know, um, spooky season is coming. Um, actually, it's here. It's Halloween. With that said, actually, um, <laughs> I, I do have something I want to say. Um, we will be doing um, something that I don't know if we've done before in a season, um, but we are actually going to, um, we're not going to have a new episode next week. We've done that before. We've taken a break before. Well, okay. We're going to take a brief break. We are not going to have an episode next week. It is going to be released uh, the week afterwards. So um, next Thursday, the 22nd, there will be no episode, but there will be a new one on the 29th. Um, but you can't expect, you know, some new movie reviews from us to go up on the site and whatnot. But we will be returning on the 29th to essentially get out um our last few episodes of season seven and it has been a great time um i really this has feel been such a good season like i feel like I we feel like i feel like we said that every season but yeah i think but that's the thing but no, like this one we, is, it just we, feels different yeah. andrew's here andrew is Michaela's here, here. everybody's here <laughs> everybody's here so it's been it's been a fun time but so just thank you for your patience y'all um we will we'll be back shortly like it'll be here before you know it um but we just wanted to give you a heads up so you're not like where'd you go but don't worry we'll we'll also post about where'd it you go i missed you so seems like it's been forever you have been singing since you been gone you have been singing a lot this episode so here's a number for me to you and the audience are you ready mm-hmm. so long farewell i'll be there say goodbye wait 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 what is the thing so long is a clap not out of the box that's not what that was not what you were singing no it wasn't it was just oh. i don't oh. i got excited and okay never mind. not out of the <laughs> bye y'all Ha 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 